In his poem, The Path Not Taken, Robert Frost wrote these words. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less travelled by, and that has made all the difference. Frost wrote this somewhat misunderstood and ironic poem about his friend Edward. Uh, They used to go walking in the woods together, and Edward was notoriously bad at making decisions. He would stand at the fork in the road and be totally uncertain which way to go. And so Frost wrote his poem. It's a poem about literal paths in literal woods, and yet it's also a metaphor for life. Just as the path in this poem, Psalm 119, is a metaphor for life. And the path is uh, the major theme of our section uh, this morning. In fact, did you know that Christianity in its very earliest days, you look at the book of Acts, was, was not called Christianity. It was called the way, the pathway, because Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Christianity was about a journey. In Psalm 119, the writer is faced with a choice. Indeed, a series of choices, constant choices, Uh, Choices every day, paths diverging in the woods. Uh, Which way ought he to go? Uh, Verse uh, 105 echoes um, something of uh, Frost's uh, anxiety walking in the woods, doesn't it? And yet uh, it's worse than uh, Frost's poem. Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He needs a lamp and a light because he's out at night time. I don't know if you've been for walks in the woods at night time. It's a somewhat more anxious experience than going for a daytime stroll, isn't it? The writer needs a lamp just to see the next few feet in front of him. He's come to a fork in the road, one where one path is the right way and one path is the wrong way, a false path. Verse 101, I have kept my feet from every evil path. Verse 128, I, have, I hate every wrong path. There are right paths and wrong paths. Uh, not only is one of the paths treacherous, but he is surrounded by false friends. Uh, like the hinky punk that deceives travellers into the bogs uh, to die. So there are those, verse 118. Uh, you reject all who stray from your decrees. Their delusions come to nothing. Uh, they're full of lies and deceit. Uh, drawing people off the right path. And if that wasn't enough, our psalmist has got friends like uh, Robert Frost's mate, Edward, the man who can't make up his mind which path to be on, the man who wants to get on both paths at once. I don't know if you've ever tried that. It's quite painful. Verse 113, though. I hate double-minded people. I put in both camps. The friend who says, we'll go God's way today, but the next time we come to a fork in the road, we're going to go my way. Uh, the uncommitted Christian. Facing the fork in the path, by night, surrounded by deceivers and dangers on every side, with one path that leads to life and the other that leads to death, what should the psalmist do? And we, we who face the decision every day, ten times a day, uh, whether to live as God's people or to compromise and be double-minded, Uh, Go along the other path for a while to destruction. What remedies does our psalmist offer us today? We're going to look at five things. We've got five sections of the psalm to look at this morning. Five things that the psalmist says which should help us to choose the right path and to stick to it. And the first one is this. Uh, If you're taking notes, the first point is this. Be convinced 
that God's word can make you wise in choosing the path. Be convinced that God's word can make you wise in choosing the path. Verses 97 through 104. Our psalmist loves the word of God. He delights in it because he knows that it makes him wise. And because it makes him wise, it enables him to discern the good path from the bad path. To hate the bad path and to keep his feet from walking in that path. In this unit, you'll have noticed as Chris was reading, he makes these two exclamations, and he's drawn attention to it already in our service. Verse 97, Oh, how I love your law! So much so that I meditate on it all day long. I guess he doesn't do a job that involves much thinking because he's focused on God's word and not on whatever he does for a living. But then verse 103, Oh, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I don't know you, I, I love honey. I could quite happily sit there with a big jar of the stuff, eating it by the handful, sort of like Winnie the Pooh, you know. Um, it would give me heart disease and all sorts of horrible things, so I, I don't, but I could happily do it. But the word of God is better than that, I guess, because it doesn't give you heart disease. I wonder, I wonder if we don't meditate on God's words as much as we should do, because we're not convinced that it is as precious as uh, the psalmist does. Why is it precious? Well, there's three verses here in a row that, that tell us how uh, precious it is. Verses 98 through 100. Look at them. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers. I have more understanding than the elders. The psalmist meditates on the word of God day and night because it makes him wise wiser than those people who want to draw him onto the wrong path. He can, he can see clearly. They're in the dark. They don't have a lamp for their feet. He can see the consequence of their folly and he stays away from it. The word makes him wiser than his teachers. I, I wonder, those of you who are still at school, would you like to be wiser than your teachers? Wiser than your parents? Wiser than your Sunday school teachers? If you would, then meditate on the word all the time. The word can make any believer wiser than the elders. That's wiser than the old, mature, uh, experienced, knowledgeable leaders of the church. Uh, most of our elders are on holiday at the moment, so we can, we can say this. If you want to be wiser than our elders, uh, read the word day and night. You think of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. He's aged 12 and he's up at the temple, isn't he? His parents have uh, left him behind by mistake and gone away for a few days and he's in the temple and he's asking questions and he's answering questions and the people are amazed at his wisdom and we might say well of course he's wise he's God but why is Jesus the 12 year old boy so wise as to impress the very wisest of his nation because he's been made wise by the study of the scriptures and that wisdom means verses, verse 101 and 104 that he's kept from every evil path First, because he recognises the path of what it is, and then because he makes a value judgement about the path. Notice that, verse 104, end of that first section. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. I know what the wrong path is, and I hate it. And then, because he hates it, he, he then makes a decision. Verse 101. I've kept my feet from every evil path. God has given his word, you see. 
which makes us wise for salvation, gives us everything we need for life and godliness, and yet we neglect it. It sits on the shelf, doesn't it? Uh, barely touched from day to day. Perhaps we flick it open and, and read a few words, but do we soak ourselves in it? Do we uh, meditate on it on our, on our commute, uh, in, our, in our coffee break, in our, our lunch breaks, on the way home? Do, do we take time to soak ourselves in the Word? Let the, the wisdom of it uh, change us. If we don't, then don't be surprised if, if you make foolish decisions. Because it's the Word that makes us wise. If you want to recognise the right path and be able to walk in it, then you need to be wise. So the word makes us wise. But secondly, despite present challenges, the psalmist is committed to God's word for the long haul. Despite present challenges, commit to God's word for the long haul. That's our second point, verses 105 to 112. See, the psalmist is aware that he is surrounded by challenges. He can't see very much of the path in front of him. He has people setting traps all around him to to bring him down. He's become severely afflicted. He's become weak. So that it's as if, verse 109, he's he's taken his his life, his fragile life, in the open palm of his hand, and he's waiting for someone to smack it with a hammer to take his life from him. That's how fragile he feels. He expects tragedy at any moment. And yet... Knowing that walking God's way can feel very dangerous, still, he's made a vow to go with God to the end. Verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. One of the most famous verses in the whole book of Psalms. And yet the question is, how comforting is this word really? Well, of course, if you're in the darkness, a little light to your path is really helpful. I took the boys camping on Friday night down in the New Forest with some old friends of mine. And once the sun had gone down, walking in the woods was pretty treacherous. Uh, Brambles, uh, branches trying to take your eyes out. Uh, Walking in the woods can suddenly become quite scary. Uh, A big torch is quite handy at that point. A lamp to your feet in the darkness is really handy. But the point the psalmist is making is this. He can't see where the path is going. He can't see what uh, is down the road. Of course, he knows what's at the end of the path. He's a Christian. He believes that that Jesus is going to take him home. But for now, all he sees is the little way, the next few steps. Perhaps that's minutes and days rather than weeks and months and years. We'd love to know what was down our path years away, wouldn't we? Uh, But he's only got enough light for the next few days, perhaps. And yet still, verse 106, I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. I've been reading this week the the Puritan Richard Baxter, and he makes this point. He was uh, encouraged by the Church of England in his day to uh, swear an oath, to carry out certain ceremonies, among the other things he had to do. Um, And he said, these things were against my conscience, so I couldn't do it. And he was kicked out of the church, taken his, his... livelihood away, uh, thrown on poverty. But he, see, he, he understood that, that taking an oath before God to do something, making a promise to God, was really, really important. It's not a thing you do lightly. And yet here is the psalmist taking a double oath. I have taken an oath and confirmed it. See, despite not seeing what, where the path is going, despite not knowing whether his life was going to be uh, through the uh, 
lovely flowering meadows or whether he was going to walk through the Slough of Despond, he still makes this oath up front. I'm committed to God's ways to the very end. So he says in verse 112, doesn't he? My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. So he's in it for the long haul. He doesn't know where that's going to take him, but he knows God, and he trusts that God's path, God's way, is the only safe way. Even though actually today, his situation is pretty perilous. You might feel that way yourself. Verse 107. He's severely afflicted. We saw last week that that word is is weakness, it's being brought low. And perhaps some of us feel that way, even though you've had some time off over the summer. Nevertheless, we can feel like life is hard going. Putting one foot in front of the other and just keeping going can be tough, can't it, sometimes? And more than that, verse 110, the wicked have set a snare for me. Against that hunting language, he's like a a, a rabbit uh, darting, trying to avoid the traps. People who are trying to bring him off the path. Perhaps uh, putting temptations in front of him to sin, to to turn his back on God. A temptation is just a compromise, to be a double-minded person. uh, To become a hypocrite. How how much would uh, would people love to see uh, us be hypocrites? Uh, To say with with our mouths that that God is great and then to behave as though he isn't. And they can just dismiss Jesus because they see the lives we live. And here is the psalmist with temptation on every side. He feels terribly weak. He can't see what tomorrow is going to bring. And still, in spite of how difficult life is at the moment, still the psalmist is utterly committed to God's word to the end. Now perhaps you're one of our younger church members here this morning. And you're thinking, can God's word really prepare me for every step of the way? All the different stages of life I've still got to go through. In our modern, exciting, interconnected global world. Can can God's word really prepare me for that? Can he really make me wise for every situation I face in life? Perhaps you're one of the older members of our congregation. You've You've been at the Christian life for a long time. And you feel tired. The challenge of just putting one godly foot in front of the other has just got very, very tough. At home, in the office, it's just quite hard work. And the psalmist would say, don't let the toughness of life today distract you from the reality that God's word gives light to your path. That it makes you wise to every situation if you'll just commit to knowing it. We don't know what following Jesus is going to mean for us in the future. I think of friends of mine who who are off doing mission work in in dangerous parts of the world. I'm sure when they became Christians, they didn't think that God was going to call them to to work in North Africa or in uh, in Arab countries where it's very dangerous to be a Christian. We don't know what the path is going to be in front of us. But we know that God's path is the right path. We know that God's path is the good path to walk on. We know that he knows where the path is going. The psalmist believes in the goodness of growing wise through God's word. He's committed to walking in God's path, come what may. And thirdly, he tells us to beware of false travelling companions. Beware of false travelling companions. Verses 113 to 120. See, the third thing the psalmist does is remember that there are actually two roads diverging in the woods. Two roads, and there are people on each. And there are those who want to drag him off his path onto the other. Think of the parable of the sower that Jesus tells uh, of the four types of soil that the word is sown onto. 
It's a disturbing parable, isn't it? Because you want there to be two sorts of soil, and there are four. On the path, the word is snatched away. People don't listen, they don't want to become Christians. They're on the wrong path for life. Then there's the good soil, the person who hears the word and perseveres in it, and bears fruit for eternal life. That's where you want to be. But then there's these two disturbing soils in the middle, aren't there? Those who seem to start well, seem to be on the right path, but never make it to the end. They start off well, but every time the path diverges in the wood, they've got to make a decision. Are you going to go with God? And we're told by Jesus, aren't we, that the deceitfulness of riches, the trials of life, persecutions, these things drag people down, tear people away from God's ways, and they don't make it to the end. Our psalmist says, I want to be good soil. I take it, if you're a Christian here today, you want to be good soil. You want to avoid being those middle two types of soil, don't you? But actually the psalmist does more than that. He's wary of the two types of soil which start off well but never make it to the end. Did you notice that? Look at verses 117, 118. Uphold me and I shall be delivered. I shall always have regard for your decrees. But you reject all who stray from your decrees for their delusions come to nothing. So here are God's decrees. And there are two people following the decrees. Eyes on the prize. The psalmist says, I will always have regard for your decrees. I'm watching them like a hawk. My eyes are never departing from them. I'm totally committed. But he's aware. He's aware of the person walking alongside him who seems to have their eyes on the prize and then suddenly they veer off. They're distracted. They're following delusions. They're following lies. Perhaps uh, an offer of that job that's uh, miles away from a good church but it's just such a good job offer distracted from the word of God, distracted from living God's ways and just taken off to a place where they'll starve spiritually. And more than that, here is a person who's trying to persuade him to do the same thing. Come with me, come on, this is a great opportunity for us. Then you have the person in verse 113. The person who's always been double-minded, always tried to have the best of Christianity, the the eternal life bit, the, the guarantee of heaven, that's a good thing, we'll have that. But they've also wanted what they consider to be the best of this life as well. The, the money or the fame or just, frankly, independence from God's word. I just want to do it my way. Sinatra, uh, the arch heretic. In both cases, he says, be wary of such friends. You have to be wary of those who play fast and loose with God's word. The people who uh, one day seem to be following God's word and another day seem to be quite happy to, to compromise. How often you hear it in the church at the moment, conversations you have with people. Uh, God can't mean what he says in the Bible because it just feels wrong. Surely he's moved with the times, which is shorthand for I want to be on the wrong path and I want God to be glad about it. Often it comes down to our sexual ethics or our attitude to the unborn or the elderly. Or frankly, it comes to anywhere where our culture has a distinct, different opinion to the gospel. I think it's why we struggle with evangelism, isn't it? Because the rest of the world doesn't want to hear. Our friends don't do evangelism and they don't want us to do evangelism. And so we become double-minded. We, we, we think, I'm not going to walk God's way. I'm going to stand with with them and keep my mouth shut but what does the psalmist say I hate the double minded people but I love your law 
120, this book ends his little section. We should tremble in fear of God and stand in awe of his laws. He is the judge. He is the one whose, whose word is the, the basis of judgment. See, both the paths end up in the same place, don't they? People say that, you know, all, all religions are roads up the same mountain, which is not really what I mean here. But you see, all roads do lead to a meeting with God. There are those of us who are trying to walk on God's path. And in the end, we get to meet him as Father, don't we? Those who live by the word of God, who, who call God true and believe his words, will stand before Christ on the last day, vindicated by the words. And then there are those who call God a liar who choose the other path, who won't listen to what God has to say. And they will face God, not as a father, but as a judge, and held account by the word that they've rejected. It's a temptation, isn't it, to be double-minded? It's a temptation to be distracted. I wonder whether we could, all of us, take a little time later today, maybe a few minutes after lunch, and just ask yourself honestly, where am I tempted to depart from God's word? Where am I tempted to go my own way, choose my own path, and not listen to God? Where do I find the struggle? And then pray, as the psalmist does in, in verse 116, Sustain me, my God, according to your promise, and I shall live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. Don't let me dash my own hopes by departing from your law. Be convinced of the goodness of the word. Be in it for the long haul. Be aware of false travelling companions. And then fourthly, expect God to act. Expect God to act, verses 121 to 128. Here the psalmist calls himself your servant, repeatedly. He's a servant because he hates every wrong path. It's that theme again, verse 128. Instead, he, he considers all your precepts right, God. I think you, you, your word is absolutely true. And so, verse 121, again, topping and tailing the section, I've done what is righteous and just. I love your law. Your law is right, it's good. I'm your servant, so I do everything that your word says. The psalmist takes the right path. He recognises the path. He knows that it's the right way to do it. He knows it's good for him to walk in God's ways. And so he he casts aside all double-mindedness and he goes for it. And so now, as a person who's committed to walking in God's path, he turns to God and says, now it's your turn to act. And he asks God to act in a number of ways. You notice, verse 126. It is time for you to act, Lord. Your word is being broken. Essentially, the psalmist is saying, look, if you're as committed to your law as I am, then it must break your heart to see people breaking the law. So stop them. Stop them from breaking it. And in particular, I think the psalmist has in mind verse 122. Do not let the arrogant oppress me. And the psalmist says, look, I'm a law keeper and they're law breaking. They're oppressing me in their law breakingness. Will you defend me? Will you stand up for me? Intervene, act. And he continues to ask God to keep giving him wisdom. Verse 124, 125. Deal with your servant according to your love and teach me your decrees. Give me discernment. And all of these things 
I think, come under the general plea of verse 122. Ensure your servant's well-being. Of course, if we're honest, a stanza like this can shake us a bit, can't it? After all, do we really hate every false path the way the psalmist does? Have we really done what is righteous and just in every situation? When he prays for God to act against the lawbreakers, doesn't that put just a little shudder down your back? Because if we're honest, I mean, we've confessed our sins earlier in the service. If if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we are at least sometimes lawbreakers. Those who stumble in the the path. Sometimes we fall into the trap. Sometimes we are diverted off the, the path for a little time. Kids, do you obey your parents in everything? Everything. Husbands, do you love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? Christian, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength all of the time? They're wonderful ideals, aren't they? You can see how they they frame the good life, the glorious life that God would have us have. And yet, if we're honest, we all fail quite a lot, don't we? Committed to walking God's path, but somehow easily distracted. And so it's important that we remember who this psalm is really about, first of all. It is about Jesus. The one who keeps God's law perfectly. Who loved it more than... You remember the story of Jesus in the wilderness. He'd been fasting for 40 days and the devil comes and says, turn this rock into bread. You're so hungry. And Jesus says, man doesn't live on bread alone. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Quoting scripture at him. It is Jesus alone who has stuck to the path without the single deviation. And it means that he did it for us. He kept the law that we can't keep. He did the things that we can't do so that God can treat us as he treats his son. He defends us. He loves us. Those who want to obey him but can't. And that brings us fifthly uh, and finally and briefly uh, to our final point. See, God is for us because of Jesus. And that means we can expect him to act for us because of Jesus. And so that means, fifthly, we should enjoy our relationship with him. Enjoy your relationship with God. Verse 129 to 136. See, what does the Christian who is committed to God's word What should they expect? What should we experience in our Christian life? Well, there'll be tears. Verse 136. Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. God hates when people break his law. And the person who's trained in God's law wants to walk in his ways. Our hearts should be broken when we see people walk in disobedience. When we see people stumbling on the wrong path in the dark, injuring themselves day after day because of their ignorance of God's words and the goodness God would do to them. It should break our hearts. If we, if we find sin attractive, it's because we haven't understood God's words. Your statutes are wonderful. Therefore, I obey them. Verse 129. God's word is, is beautiful. It offers up a life that is glorious in every way. And because we're ignorant of it, we walk in other ways. We're distracted by other things. And the psalmist says, it breaks my heart to see people walking not in God's ways. 
And so again he turns, verses 130, 131. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Literally, the psalmist is playing on the idea of openness here. He says, uh, literally, opening the word opens the mind, even of the simple person. Perhaps you feel simple this morning. Not a person of great academic gifting. Perhaps very young. You're still thinking, I'm, I'm still working out my times tables. I haven't really got to all the more complicated stuff yet. And yet the psalmist says again and again, open the word. If you come to the word with an open mind, God will fill it with wisdom. But I want us to end. Verses 132 to 135. Four stunning verses about what the Christian will experience. If we strive to live God's way, not as double-minded people, not as distracted people, but as those who have chosen the right path in the wood, who follow the lamp to our feet, who listen to God's words and are trained by him in wisdom. See, as we plant our feet on the right path, we don't do it alone. It is God who, verse 133, directs my footsteps according to your words. We're not alone. If we think, gosh, every step I could fall over here, we never make the choice. But, but God is with us. His spirit is in us, breaking the power of sin so that no sin may rule over me, he says. We have a God who is committed to delivering us from trials and peril if we'll just commit to his ways. Verse 134, redeem me from human oppression. Sometimes in the midst of trials, we can't see what God is doing. But the psalmist says, walk in his ways, commit to walking his ways to the very end. And God, whose habit is redeeming his people, will deliver you. Maybe he'll teach you something wonderful through the difficult time you're going through. But cry out to him and he will redeem you from it. And finally there are these two verses which talk of God smiling down on his people. And doing good to us at every turn. Pouring out his blessings on, on those he loves. Verses 132 and 135. Verses I hope you will go away and think on and pray over at this week. Verse 132. Turn to me and have mercy on me as you always do to those who love your name. Verse 135, make your face to shine on your servant. That benediction from Moses. It is God's habit. It is the thing that God does all the time to deliver those who love him. It is his habit to pour out his fatherly loving kindness on us every day. In all sorts of ways. If we walk with him, we find God pouring out his blessings on us. He is a severe judge to those who reject him. But never, ever forget that we have a God who smiles down on us every day because of Jesus. Guiding our steps, confirming our path. And so my question for you this morning is this. Will you be as committed to him and his word as he is to you and doing you good through his word? Let me pray for us. I hate double-minded people, but I love your law. Father, we pray that that would be our experience, that uh, we would learn to love your law, your whole scripture, everything that you've given us for our uh, maturing and growing in godliness and our discernment of right paths. Please help us to, uh, to hate double-mindedness. Please keep us from being double-minded people. 
Help us to choose our friends wisely, our travelling companions carefully. That we would, uh, we would be all of us walking with our eyes fixed on your precepts and not distracted by uh, the cares and trials of this world. Our Father, praise you that uh, you pour out your blessings on us every day. Please help us to remember that and to look for every good thing you give us. Please help us remember your word that makes us wise and please mature us to be very wise indeed that we might discern every good path and walk in it for your name's sake. Amen.